0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we conclude our week today, continuing our series, Easter According to the Gospel of John, with a message titled, What is Truth? So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 18, verses 28 to 40, as we join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: In the very middle of the passage we're going to study today, Pilate will ask the question, what is truth? A question of a cynic. Pilate was a man of his times, a man of Rome, a man who had learned to survive in a world of intrigue. His attitude was simple. Disbelieve all truth claims. I mean, he'd already heard and participated in too many lies, and he'd already made too many compromises. He'd lived in too many self-serving ideals. And he'd learned to survive by outmaneuvering his opponents. He'd seen the inside of politics and religion, and he didn't like what he saw. What is truth? I'm sorry I'm not interested. And with a wave of his hand, he turns his back on Jesus, walks out to speak with the religious leaders, telling them he finds no guilt in him. It's a boring conversation. It gets one nowhere. Perhaps you're a university student who's been introduced to relativism as a philosophy for the very first time, and you've come to the conclusion there are no universal absolutes, there are no anchor points, no complete guiding sense of morals that govern everyone, nothing upon which you can build. There are no absolutes, and that's the absolute truth. Yeah, you know that's a self-contradictory statement, and you can't possibly defend it, but who cares? Or perhaps you're in a profession that requires you to shade the truth on occasion in order to increase the bottom line. And you've done what needed to be done, and now, what is truth? Perhaps you've been a victim of a lie, and you've lost a lot financially, or perhaps you're hoping your spouse never finds out the truth about that sexual tryst that you've been having, and so you've become an enemy of the truth. So in order to survive in a world of lies, You've become a cynic. I mean, cynics, they're everywhere. Just listen to their jokes. So how can you tell a politician is lying? Well, answer, his lips are moving. Or have you participated in cynical and sarcastic comments like, everyone is just out for themselves. So don't trust anyone. Just look out for yourself. If you don't, nobody else will. That's what the game is all about. And after a lifetime of living that way, you've already concluded what Pilot has concluded. What is truth? You're a skeptic. You're a cynic. In our ongoing study in the sufferings of Jesus that led him to the cross, we've come to the place where lies and deceit are common. Judas lied as he pretended fellowship with Christ in the upper room as he planned to betray him. Peter had just lied in a moment of intimidation as he tries to survive and he claims, I've never known Jesus. The Jewish trial of Jesus is full of lies. Matthew records one of those charges, Matthew 26:61. This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Now that was a lie. It took something Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I will rebuild it. And then it twisted it and it made it sound like he was a terrorist seeking the destruction of the temple. Luke records another lie at the trial in chapter 23, verse 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. Well, Jesus had said quite the opposite, hadn't he? It was a lie. But then, what is the truth? And so, Jesus is now led to what our text calls the governor's headquarters. Quite literally, the praetorium. You know, under normal circumstances, Pilate would have been stationed at Caesarea. That's along the Mediterranean Sea. But it was Passover, and Pilate would have moved into Herod's palace. It's a fortress right in the city of Jerusalem. He had to be ready for trouble. Now, the palace was surrounded by a large defensive wall. And inside the wall, before you got into the actual palace itself, there was a raised stone pavement called the Praetorium, which was used for official judgments. And that's where Jesus would stand waiting for judgment. And here early in the morning, probably about 6 a.m. on Friday morning, they bring Jesus. They've led him bloodied from abuse across the streets of Jerusalem, from the temple to Herod's palace. John 18:28 says, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. I hope you see the incredible irony here having spent the night meeting in an illegal trial in which lies are compounded with further lies, in which they're plotting to kill an innocent man, they say now that they're concerned about being defiled. Yeah, indeed, what is truth? And to be clear, you know, the Old Testament law does not say that Jews can't enter into the residence of a Gentile. That was found in the Mishnah, which is a Jewish study guide of the law. that was written about 200 years before Christ. And it said that when a Jew entered the dwelling place of the Gentile, they became ceremonially unclean, and it would take seven days to remove that defilement. So the religious leaders are happy to use this Gentile dog to murder this innocent man, but they're concerned not to enter his house. And even though the Passover meal itself had been eaten the night before, Passover would not end until sundown on Friday, and so there was still some feast left, and it was important to look pure and holy and undefiled. I mean, after all, they're the religious leaders. No, no, let's not be defiled. See, so do you remember what Jesus taught about that matter? You know, it's found in Matthew 15 the, the Pharisees had come to him and they brought a charge against him. Uh, why don't your disciples properly wash their hands when they eat? And do you remember what Jesus answered them? He said, you teach the commandments of men. And I think here he meant the Mishnah as if they were the doctrines given by God. And then you remember what he said after that. Matthew 15, 11, and then verse 20. And he called the people to him, and he said to them, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And then he added, for out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile anyone. See, according to Christ's judgment, these religious leaders were utterly defiled. Guilty of murder, false witness, slander, defiled men who were using the precepts of their religion to appear holy and undefiled, men of God. In a grand show of hypocrisy, standing before Herod's palace, saying that they will not go in for we're holy. You see, what is truth? So let's talk about the truth of justice. What defiles a man is on the inside. See, how familiar we all have become with externals. You know, when Jesus says, don't judge, he means on the basis of externals. A person's resume, a person's gifts, you know, what they're good at, a person's appearance. Are they thin or fat, good looking or less so? A person's confidence, how they handle themselves in public. A person's seeming importance, his or her job or the titles behind their name. Look, externals are so very important to us, whether we admit it or not. You know, that's, for instance, why James 2 warns us, you know, when a man with a gold ring and fine clothing enters into the assembly, how do we treat him? We treat him well. And when a person who looks, well, just a little bit beat up and shoddy, well, we tend to pay less attention to that kind of a person. It's about externals. You see, religion plays into that. It takes a great deal of care to become familiar with a human heart. But if you want to become a man or woman of the truth that's where justice actually begins with what happens on the inside what defiles a man is on the inside and so you know jesus is taken into the praetorium pilots outside the gate they're engaging in a conversation with religious leaders i mean what accusation do you bring and in an instant the religious leaders who wanted to condemn him quickly are left with an awkwardness at this moment And they wanted cooperation, not an analysis of what they were actually up to. It was six o'clock in the morning. They wanted Rome to work with them. Kill this man quickly, they said, before the city really gets going. Don't conduct a formal inquiry. Just get it done. That's what they wanted. So we come to John 18, 29 to 31. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. You know, it's well known that the Jewish religious leaders were not permitted to put anyone to death, but there were all sorts of exceptions. You remember in Acts chapter seven, you know, there's pure anger at that moment. And they stone Stephen to death on the spot. In fact, there were all sorts of cases just like that, and the Romans were trained to wink at these situations, simply ignore them, let them go by. And Pilate seems to be saying, well, if this is what you're up to, go do your business quickly and just don't involve me. But it's right here that their hypocrisy reaches a new level.
0: As time speeds by, it's even more important that we consider how we live. That's why I'm so grateful for friends like you who walk with us verse by verse through the Bible. The encouragement we received recently from Ruth reminds us of how precious this is. Dr. John's teachings are fascinating and really bring the Bible to life for me. I can almost visualize the scenes in my mind like watching a movie when I listen to him. I usually listen to the radio program at work and end up going home and rereading the passage you spoke about that day. And every time, I see it through different eyes. What a great way to use the time we've been given. With minds transformed by the washing of God's Word, we're given different eyes and God's own heart to see the world we live in. If you'd like to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-663.
1: The religious leaders were not satisfied with Pilate's permission. They wanted Jesus dead, but it had to look like it was a Roman issue, not theirs. See, the last thing they wanted was to make Jesus a religious martyr. I mean, how would they defend themselves against the backlash that would bring? Yeah, you know, they would be discredited, and besides, if the Romans crucified him, well the law says in Deuteronomy 21, 23, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. And so, if this man were of God, he would not have been cursed in this way. So instead of the religious leaders being discredited, they needed to have Jesus be discredited. But Pilate's a tough guy. You know, the Roman historian Philo reported that Pilate was well known for performing a number of executions without any trials. So he might have done it here, no questions asked, but history also tells us that Pilate despised the Jewish people as a whole and he was determined to make them sweat it out. He would never play ball with religious leaders, so he turns his back on them, goes into the praetorium to interrogate the prisoner. So let's look at verses 32 and 33. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Well, all four gospel writers record that question. This is the question Pilate really wanted answered. He has to ascertain if this man is a political threat. I mean, after all, he dealt with his kind before. I mean, he had already one man arrested, Barabbas. He was attempting to lead an uprising against Rome. So what has he got here? More of the same? Verse 34, Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? See, here, Jesus, the man of truth in a world of lies, can't answer a simple yes or no, because both answers are misleading. If he says yes, he's going to look like an insurrectionist, and he's not. If he says no, he would deny the essence of his teaching, so he seeks clarification. Are you concerned because of the way I rode into Jerusalem on Sunday with the crowds waving palm branches, and you noticed... Or are you just now hearing charges brought by the religious leaders? Verse 35, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? See, this last question is one of genuine curiosity. Just why is he here? Yeah, the Jews make him out to be a king, but why wouldn't they want a king? I mean, they hate me. They hate Rome. And if it's a religious matter, they would have stoned him. So what's going on? What have you done? Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And Jesus now answers Pilate's first question. I'm a king, yes? Notice the use of the phrase, my kingdom. He's a king. You know, in the very first sermon Jesus ever preached, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And all throughout his ministry, he constantly referred to the kingdom. Do you remember what Jesus said in Luke 11, verse 20? But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See, in every action, casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, demonstrating authority over nature, he's announcing the rule of his kingdom. And I hope you get this. And that's what Jesus said to Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. This world is not the origin of my kingdom. Have you not heard what has been happening? Indeed, I and this kingdom come from another place. And that's why he doesn't need his servants to pick up the sword and fight for it. See, all nations and empires and powers of this world require armies and weapons and intelligence about other nations and strategy and diplomacy and lies and misleading statements to stay in power. And Jesus was announcing that he needed none of that. And Pilate's confused. Verse 37a, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. I mean, those words are sometimes, you know, puzzling to us English readers. But we have a very similar expression in our language. We say, you said it. You know, that gets the same idea. The NIV translates, you are right in saying I'm a king. I mean, something like that. But now comes the central point of the story, 37b. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And the point here is that his kingdom is the kingdom of truth truth about God, the truth about our sins, the truth about what lives in human hearts, the truth about judgment, the truth about grace and salvation and forgiveness. In this kingdom, there is only truth, no spins, no twisting of facts, no self-serving, rereading of what happened, no lies, just truth. Pilate was a part of another kingdom. His was a kingdom protected by the sword. It's been said that in war, the first casualty is always the truth. The same is also true of diplomacy. It was Will Rogers who said, diplomacy is the art of saying nice doggy until you find a rock. And that's Pilate's world. He knew what to say and went to say it until he found a rock. And that rock was Rome. He was not on the side of truth. He hadn't been for many a year. George Bernard Shaw said, the liar's punishment is not in the least that he is not believed, but that he cannot believe anyone else. H.L. Mencken said, It's hard to tell if a man is telling the truth when you know you would lie if you were in his place. That's a problem in the trial of Jesus. The man of truth stands in a company of professional liars, the high priest, the Pharisees, Sadducees, Pilate, each lying, completely unable to understand even one word of truth. Verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Pilate might not know the truth, but he's seen hardened criminals, and he's seen insurrectionists, and whatever this man was, he's no threat to Rome. Good. And now's the time to stick it to the hated Jewish religious leaders. I have fully investigated this matter, he says. I find no guilt in him. I mean, that should have been the end. Jesus should have been released at that point, and Pilate would have loved seeing the religious leaders squirm. So what accounts now for verse 39? But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? So why does he do that? It doesn't seem to make sense. I mean, one reason that has been suggested is Pilate's unique position with the emperor. And I'll say more about that later. But for now, let's just say that Pilate was on very thin ice with the emperor in Rome. And the last thing he now needed was a formal complaint filed against him. So he comes up with a plan. He'll make the religious leaders release Jesus themselves, but it backfires. Verse 40, they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. If you read this account the way we did, you would miss something vital to the whole story. You know, I don't know if you noticed it, but it actually said nothing about verse 32. And it's such an important verse. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. See, the Jewish religious leaders wanted Jesus crucified and not stoned to fulfill their interest, but the most sinful plans and desires of men are always in line with the plan of God. I mean, do you think that your rebellion against God will not fall into God's hands? God will have his way. Jesus knew that he would be lifted up high on a cross, and in the action of being condemned on a Roman cross, he would indicate he would not only die for Israel, but he would also die for the sins of the whole world. And by bearing the curse of the cross, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. That curse would be on Jesus who bore the curse for you and me. And I find it fascinating. that This last frenzied cry, this cry, give us Barabbas and crucify Christ. What an incredible cry. And when I read this, See, I do know that, you know, many have said that the crowd that was there, you know, that morning at 6 a.m. was probably not the same crowd that had just hailed him coming into Jerusalem on Sunday as the great king. But still, what happens next is our salvation. See, if the crowd that was there had chosen Jesus rather than Barabbas, don't you know there would have been no forgiveness of sins? But God determined that they would choose Barabbas and not Jesus, so that we would have an atoning sacrifice for our sins, that's the amazing part of this story. It tells us the truth about God, who in the end of the day will have his way. See, the truth, if you want it, is this horrible truth. Each one of us has chosen Barabbas. And the truth is also, and if you want to have it, it's in this act in choosing Barabbas, in choosing the worst of us, in choosing to be sinners, that Jesus in that act became our sin bearer. He is the champion of truth who has gone to the cross to take with him all our lies and all of our sins and all of our denial of the truth and to pay that penalty for us, the man of truth bearing the penalty of the men and women of lies. What an amazing story we find at Easter time. I hope your soul is overwhelmed by this. And I hope when you think about Easter, you'll be moved in your own heart to say, oh Lord, I want to confess all of my sins and surrender to Jesus, the man of truth. May that be your story.
0: May the Lord bless you. Thanks for your message, John. So I end with a simple question. What is truth? Does it ultimately exist in the world that says truth is up to the individual?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, that's the end of a culture when it gives up on the idea of truth. I mean, if everything is in flux, if there are no anchor points at all, uh, then we have to say we have no place to stand and then we have no future as well. The very nature of the question brings us to this conclusion. If we should say there is no truth, then let's no longer have law courts, let's no longer have discussions about various issues in our life because everything is in flux. I mean, Jesus came to rescue us from that kind of an attitude and to help us to stand on the rock.
0: Thanks again, John. And remember to join us again next week as we continue our series, Easter According to the Gospel of John, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. You know, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know how the ministries or ministry resources of Back to the Bible Canada are impacting your life, what you found most beneficial. Is there a specific resource or medium, a message that has brought blessing and encouragement into your life? Not only do your notes and emails offer encouragement, but they allow us to know how we can provide effective Bible teaching ministry. These are challenging days and we believe the church is strongest when we commit ourselves to being people of the word. Our mission is to build you up in God's word and to grow faithful disciples for his church. So touch base, would you? Email us at info at backtothebible.ca or visit us at backtothebible.ca and click on contact and leave your message there. We're so grateful for all you do to support this Bible teaching ministry. For more information or to send a gift, Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.